This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Today is Sunday, April 9th, 2017. This is Celtic Speed on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry A. Trussell. It's the final week of the NBA's 2016-17 regular season. Celts wrap theirs up this week with two more contests, two very necessary contests, at home. Before staying home and hosting game one of the playoffs next weekend. That's next weekend. This is episode number 204, which this week is being brought to you by Blue Apron and SeatGeek. Staying in the present moment. No collection of individuals could use that advice more than those Celtics. Get your yoga on. Because uh, is this group suffering a bit of an identity crisis at pretty much the worst time of the year? I hope not. But Celtics president Rich Gotham, he said on this very show this past weekend that the team, the coaching staff actually, Brad Stevens has been telling the guys, telling the players that it's not so much about seeding, that it's about playing their best basketball at this all-important time. Peaking, a word we hear in sports quite frequently. You know, if you remember last year, that group entered the playoffs not exactly playing their best ball this season for reasons likely due to fatigue with that late-season West Coast road trip that they had. But this year's team, they are not playing their best basketball. And no, this is not just overreaction from this past week. The warning signs have been there for a while now. We said in this space last week, despite the Celts riding a winning wave at the time, they were first in the conference that things, they just did not look quite right last week despite the three victories. Teams like Milwaukee really exposed Boston's inconsistent reserve units in a loss on the 29th. And Miami and Orlando in these squeaking, barn-burning wins in the final week of March, they really created causes for concerns with the way their players were getting and finishing around the basket with, with ease against the Celtics. And yeah, those were not exactly with world-beating players, mind you. So how would they fare against, say, oh, geez, I don't know, playoff teams like Cleveland, or, or even Atlanta, it was not good. <laughs> simple, right? As simple as that. And here's from what I saw this past week, where once again, I don't think any of us learned a few things we have not known now. Oh, 80 games into the season. But, well, next week, they're going to be playing these games for real, real, real. And when they play these games for real, 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 teams and coaching staffs, they can prepare and scout even more between games and focus more so on the opposition's weak points and attack it until it breaks. That isn't coaching one-on-one. That's Siege Warfare 101. Although I know Coach Stevens is a big uh, reader of Sun Tzu. But anyways, Boston's got a few weak points in their fortifications and none more glaring than, yeah, we're going to go there, rebounding. And yes, I know, defensive schemes, they play, it plays a huge part in that. But I thought the Cavs laid out a blueprint. And they did so on national TV. Atlanta followed suit on a game also on national TV, unfortunately. 
Seltzer Rocks, they were in Charlotte last night, and it got me thinking to a conversation we had with Chris Forsberg after the third game of the season, which also so happened to be a Saturday night game in Charlotte, which followed a loss in Chicago on TNT, where the Bulls trounced Boston on the boards and, and confirmed all of our preseason fears. And Chris said, you know, why didn't Charlotte or Steve Clifford that night just turn the dogs loose on the glass against the Celtics in that game back in, oh Jesus, what, you know, end of October or whatever it was. Well, Charlotte, like Atlanta, plays the philosophy of placing more of a premium on getting back, preventing transition opportunities, and being able to set a defense, not to, to paint with a broad brush, but in general, analytically, that has proven best, a very good method. But the Hawks were pragmatic with their approach. Atlanta saw what Cleveland laid out on Wednesday, and that is send two guys to the offensive glass on every possession. No team has really done it to the Celtics to that point, despite as well-known throughout all NBA circles how porous of a rebounding team the Celts are. But send two guys to the glass, or more, and we'll see how the Celtics handle it. And it's not well. And I struggle to see how they will be able to handle it well. Because, uh, yeah, no one outside of Marcus Smart at the end of games, or Avery Bradley at times, so that's two guards, that's scary to say. But no one legitimately boxes out, and that's now something that teams like the Cavs and Hawks, they really attacked and put out there on national TV for the NBA world to see. And laid the blueprint, if you will, for any potential playoff vote for the Celtics. And that is going to make it easier for said potential playoff vote to justify changing their normal philosophies and... Change their whole philosophy like the Hawks did, as we know that is something that they hate doing. Because I, I know me and Chris Forsberg were surprised more teams weren't doing this in games three and on. And I'm just shocked that it took until game 77 or whatever it was for the defending world champions who were missing their best rebounder, by the way, to say, hey, let's really just put the pressure on Boston and send multiple guys to attack the offensive glass and see how that very bad rebounding team can handle it. I was surprised, but... The cat's out of the bag now, and it is going to be very interesting to see if this can be not put back in the bag or fixed, but game 78 or 77, whatever it was. Remember, we don't feel it now, but to joggle the memories going into that game, the perception was a potential Eastern Conference Finals preview, and I know that's not the feeling most observers have on this Sunday. But to be nice, uh, it is going to be how intriguing to see how, as good as Brad Stevens is, it will be quite a challenge for him, making adjustments to that, if he can adjust to that, if, if that is something that can be adjusted to in this very season. Masqueraded, if you will. If you saw this week, say something like the bench, or units in which feature three or more non-starters. Steven says he thinks he has something. He said that after the Atlanta game. There was some shortening of the rotation. You do hold out hope there, but rim protection was the concern du jour last week, and as we know... And uh, now everybody else knows, rebounding, that's going to be something that the Celtics will just have to uh, get away with, quite frankly. Survive. That is the word. Survive, if you will. And uh, survive, they can, because remember the Judgment Day moments of the 2017 Celtics is the first round of the playoffs, point blank. That's all that matters both for the progress of this particular group and also to enhance the perception of the health of the direction of the organization because, um, you know, how do I put this? Not sure Gordon Hayward would be more inclined to play for this team. 
as an example, if they were not good enough to, to win a playoff series in the still mediocre recent conference, Justin is, a, is an example to offer an explanation. So in these eyes, Celts get it done, say, two and a half weeks from now, take it and run. That's it. Done. Move along with life. And uh, to touch upon that quickly, for as flimsy as they look in some areas, which I've harped on much these last two shows, I still think they do. The Celtics all season, they, they struggled against the cream. A lot of evidence in that. The top teams, Cleveland game. A game which, you know, a game in which was effectively deciding who would be the number one seed in the conference. Cleveland is better. We all know that. But I did not like how it looked as if the Celts succumbed to the weight of the pressure of that game. They had plenty of open looks that night. Coach Nick Abibal breakdown did a great job highlighting Cleveland's still very subpar defense against Boston. But the Celts were not converting. So I don't know if that's something where you can draw the extreme conclusion of didn't handle pressure well. Either lay laid an egg, uh, to steal the phrase of Isaiah Thomas after that game. Anyways... A lot of discussion of potential first-round playoff matchups for the Celtics. Each and every team at the bottom of the conference does present some problems, so to speak, if for no other reason that the Celts just have these weaknesses that are very evident and any potential foe could exploit different ones of them to a degree or another. But, but the story of this season has been what it has been. Against lesser teams, if this regular season can serve as evidence... The Celts, by and part, have "quote unquote" taken care of business, so to speak. Alone, they were twelve and five this year against all potential of uh, their first-round playoff matchups. So that's Miami, Chicago, Atlanta. They had a losing record against them. Indiana, and they have one more on tap against Milwaukee. But as the numbers and various records show. They have been dominant in close games throughout this season against said lesser teams. Put that together. Playoffs generally bring about closer contests. Celts are very good in those. Uh, and the first round will draw a lesser team. So I, I still hold strong to Boston chances. How is that for simplicity? And how's that? Once again. Huh. All right. I do want to shift gears to our Take a giveaway to that first round. Yes, okay. That is something I was scrolling down. I did not want to miss that one on the agenda. All right, so here are the details. Game two, to be precise. Game two of the first round of the playoffs at the TD Garden. Date still yet to be determined, but it will fall on either next Monday, so not tomorrow or, or the 10th, or, but the next Monday, next Tuesday, or next Wednesday. We will announce the winner of the pair of seats on next week's broadcast, but yes, Enter into the drawing to win two tickets to Game 2 of the Celtics' first-round playoff series by simply following me on Twitter at CLNS underscore LHR. That is at CLNS underscore LHR. We will draw the winner here on Sunday's podcast. And we will be back on the other side of the break with today's featured guest. Thank you for downloading yet another edition of Celtics Beat, the number one podcast on iTunes which covers the NBA's winningest franchise. Today's broadcast is being sponsored by Blue Apron, the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. And they're the best for a reason. Blue Apron has established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. And the best farming and harvesting practices gives you delicious meals that you can cook for and with your family and friends. It all comes out to less than $10 per meal, saving you time and money while building strong, 
family bonds. From sweet and sour salmon with bok choy, carrot, and gingered fried rice, Blue Apron gives you variety and flexibility to match your tastes. And as a loyal listener to Celtics Beat, I encourage you to go check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Celtics Beat. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash Celtics Beat. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Today's featured guest segment with Dave McMenamin of ESPN is being brought to you by SeatGeek. As the Celtics playoff push heats up, and with just two games left, I'd say it's pretty hot, SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it is by far the easiest way I've found a shop for tickets, including the Celtics in the NBA playoffs here in Boston. That's one week away, or maybe less for those of you who may be listening to this podcast well in your work week. Even so, there is no better place to get the best deals for the NBA's postseason. And remember that it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available, too. My listeners can get a $20 rebate on their first purchase. Here's how to do so. Download the free SeatGeek app. Go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code and enter promo code CELTICSBEAT. All one word, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code CELTICSBEAT today. One of the many deflating aspects of Wednesday's game against Cleveland is the reality check that became of it. I mean, we now know that barring really something crazy or unfortunate happening to a select group of skilled professional athletes from Cleveland, there is certainly now a concrete ceiling on this season. I don't want anything crazy or unfortunate happening to any skilled journalists from that area, though, such as you, Mr. McMahon. How are you this Sunday morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Here with Dave McMenamin, NBA reporter for the Worldwide Leader. Pleasure's ours, Mac. Thank you, per usual. But, uh, yeah, as I said, a little bit of the air was taken out of the region here in New England this week. Playoffs begin next week. You've been covering the Cavs for the last three years. Got a good look at the Celts being on national TV twice this past week and being at the game on Wednesday. But, uh, yeah, that Cleveland elephant in the room got a whole lot bigger, huh? Well, I think if you look at the four games they played in the regular season, that was the most atypical performance uh, if there were to be a playoff series between the Cavs and the Celtics I would expect that the games to go more like games one through three than an abject blowout like happened in game four where the Cavs led by 29 points at one point uh, I, I think it was certainly an encouraging sign for the Cavs who really had not played that level of basketball for months now and for me as someone not watching the Celtics on a regular basis, the way I'm sure many of your listeners do, I was just surprised because, you know, I check in and I watch their highlights or, or you know, I watch a game or two here and here or there. Um, you always feel like a Brad Stevens coach team is going to come with the requisite energy and the requisite strategy to combat what their opponent's doing. But there was, I don't know, outside of Isaiah Thomas scoring 26 points, I don't think there's anything you can point to that went successfully for the Celtics in that game. That wasn't a uh, highly ringing endorsement at all, dude. <laughs> no, not let, so much. let it all out there. Let it, let it all out there. Just be honest and, and, and say and, and be quite frank of what you well, saw in Boston. The, the, the question is, right, so if this becomes a playoff series, uh, teams like the Cavs will focus even more in on Isaiah Thomas. And where, is this, where are the Celtics going to score? You know, They scored 91 points, 40.7%. 
from the field, 21.2% from three. And outside of the, you know, the, the creating that Isaiah was doing, there, you know, you look at Marcus Smart, he, he's a great defensive player, but when's he going to start making these open jump shots that Isaiah Thomas creates for him? Um, you know, Bradley, we, I've seen him have great offensive games, but uh, he's spotty with that. Uh, if they're bigs like Crowder and uh, aren't, aren't hitting their outside shots too, that, that they're not the type of bigs that are going to pound you down low and make you pay down there. So it, 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 I, I find a hard time seeing where they'll be able to generate the offense against some of the teams they'd have to face in a seven-game series. And it was scary that you never mentioned Al Horford because going into that game, I thought right. a very underrated storyline was no Tristan Thompson at all for Cleveland. And not many people in the NBA circles know this outside of maybe diehard Cavs fans, diehard Hawk fans, and the absolute geek of geeks who follow the NBA. Don't want to name any names. It could possibly, you might fall into that category, Dave, and I hope you do. I think I fall. Yeah, I, I Tristan qualify. Thompson has absolutely slapped Al Horford around throughout much of his career, so it's like, hey, no Tristan Thompson. Maybe Al Horford should, you know, be able to do something against Cleveland, and that that certainly was not a... I mean, I hate doing the whole one-game thing, but considering that Thompson does what he does throughout his career against Al, and he, Al wasn't able to do... Oh, wait, did Horford have a good game back in March 1st? I can't... I think he did much better, but uh, that that was that was a, a pretty big red flag, I thought, from a Celtics lens, if you look... Well, because to me, my, my, my view of it was that he wasn't getting a bigger opportunity with Thompson being missing. Like at one point, I don't know off the top of my head, his final stat line, but at one point in, you know, late in the second half, he had like 12 points and eight rebounds on six shots. And I'm like, you know, what can a guy do if he's only getting six shots? And then that, that's, you know, part of a, uh, a problem of perhaps the way Horford approaches the game, but also the way they integrate him. Um, you know, I, I, I don't watch enough Celtics to know that that's a common theme, but I, I do know, you know, generally the numbers. And, uh, you know, you're, you're paying him a max salary. I'm not paying him. <laughs> if I were, yeah, if I were, they would like be in an IOU cocktail napkins, and he'd be about knee-deep <laughs> in those. Right, right. And so, so again, so that's to me, is, is the biggest red flag with the Celtics, is, is how are they going to score? Uh, and, and, you know, and as great and electrifying as Isaiah Thomas is to watch, if he's your best player and you enter into a series against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and this may make me sound like, you know, biased towards the Cavs because I cover them all the time, but I, I, I truly believe the Cavs still have the three best players in that series. I sincerely do hope, and I know you sincerely do hope, that you'll be back, just for your sake, that you'll be back in Boston uh, at the end. I love uh, Boston. At the I end of May. It's, it's better than, uh, <laughs> well, Toronto's a great, actually, Toronto's a really Toronto's good, pretty good, too. Toronto's yeah. a good city. Uh, real quick, then, Boston or D.C.? What's your preference at the end of May? I'll take, I'll take Boston. All right, so pending that these two teams do meet in the conference finals, um, I I'll say this, as long as the Celtics win a playoff series, everything else after that is gravy, and we can even get into that. But we all know if Cleveland's healthy, they're in the NBA Finals. I think they can even survive an injury to Love and or Irving, maybe not both, and certainly, of course, they will not survive an injury to LeBron James. But if they're healthy, it's, you know, pencil them into the NBA Finals. But I'm just, I'm curious about this, because the Celtics were playing really well going into that Cleveland game. And, well, really... So I was here a week ago, and they had just come off like a, a one-point win against Orlando, and I think they had a, a near-perfect week. 
But during those that week, I was they. I mean, it just was a huge red flag. Was there rim protection? There was none of it, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And Tyler Johnson was going to the rim. Guys like Evan Fournier, and and they were just squeaking out games. Their bench was a huge issue as well, which actually you saw back on Wednesday night. That's when Cleveland initially made their run against Boston's non-existent bench. But it jumped out at right. me in that. Hey. The Cavs, okay. I'm saying to myself, well, all Cleveland's got to do is what they usually do, spread the, spread the floor with their shooters and have LeBron James attack the basket as opposed to Tyler Johnson attack the basket or Evan Fournier attack the basket. When they were, when those, when those opposing teams are doing that well, well enough, attack with LeBron or and or just have an onslaught of cutters. They did that. So uh, Boston is just not even a good enough matchup because, quite frankly, they're going to be out-talented. And they, I mean, just... I mean, just scheme-wise alone, it's not a matchup. So I'll ask you, really, outside of another team having great players like a Golden State, what is what are things that just disrupt Cleveland, that, that take them out of their flow offensively? Because we do forget that this was, uh, like, what, the one of the best offenses in the NBA in the last 10 years up until around, like, March before they went in that little dive and they've gotten things back on track. But what's dis- what takes Cleveland out of their flow? Well, I, I think it's it's kind of a, a two-pronged thing, but it's a similar type of player that, that causes uh, the, the problem to come up on both ends. It's a creator on the perimeter that's able to break down their initial line of defense, get into the paint, and finish. But they would have to be obviously surrounded by shooters to really make it a threat. And that's why you look at a, a team like Washington with John Wall, they are a threat, and they will, will be a tough out for the Cavs in the playoff series because you know, Wall gets into the lane at will, and they have guys around him like Porter and Beal and even Oubre has been coming on of late that can hit the outside shot. And then and the on the other end is is those those creators, those catalysts creating turnovers on on uh, on the Cavs end because the, for as good as the Cavs are offensively. They sometimes either get careless with the ball or take things too much on one-on-one, put themselves in bad situations, turn the ball over, and then the other team's off to the races. And, and the Cavs are the second oldest roster in the league. They don't have the legs to to be getting up and down the court in that fashion time and time again. I think one of the key parts of the Cavs' success on Wednesday night was they only had turn turnovers. So they were able to control uh, the opportunities or limit the opportunities that ball and got on that end. So, you know, that, that's why, you know, a point to a Washington could be a tough series. And, and, you know, Toronto, you know, they got Kyle Lowry back um, on Wednesday night as well, which was sooner than a lot of people expected. He's the type of guard that can also give them problems in terms of breaking down their defensive perimeter. I'm not sure if Toronto quite has the same level of shooters that Washington does. I want to go back to the point that you made about Cleveland being a little careless, can, can have a tendency to be careless with the ball, but they were not careless with the ball in a quote-unquote big game against the Celtics or a game that they seem to be geared for um, maybe as, as much as they had since that Christmas Day game against Golden State. But when they are careless with the ball, is that possibly just a, a testament to regular season disinterest? Yeah, I think it... Okay. I mean, that there's, there's, that there's, question. Well, there's, there's just the level of it's not the urgency of every possession that the playoff brings and, and you can't replicate that until you are in the playoffs. And, um, you know, the way the Cavs turned the page last year when they began the postseason 10 and no, it was a different team than we saw in late March and early April. 
and you know we shall see if they can do that again but uh you know they they certainly have the heady type of personnel and the experienced personnel that you'd think they'd be able to to make a similar change and it is it is now probably you can safely say that it is set in stone that uh the march swoon was just that it was possibly so, I mean, what, what was, was it, I don't know if it was regular, I mean, you're as close to that team, you're as close to LeBron as, as anyone in the national media. I mean, what was that, that swoon that they had about it? They had a, a dreadful defense, I think it was the worst defense in the NBA after the All-Star break. Was mm-hmm. that regular than the season? Lakers. Okay, okay yeah, uh, I said NBA teams, ha ha, ha ha. <laughs> I know that's a low blow at you. You covered the, the Lakers for so many yeah, years. Yeah, that's, right. that's um, right. But was it, you know, regular season disinterest? Was it the team trying to pace themselves as not only have they had long playoff series or long seasons the last two seasons, but uh, the Olympics this last year, many of their players were involved in that. So they, you know, a, a player like Kyrie Irving, who I remember reading a feature on you, you know, you wrote on ESPN, he, how he had no off season. Was that yeah. finally just something like that, that they needed to see uh, back I there? I think... I, I, yeah, that's part of it, uh, the, the championship hangover aspect um, and just the sheer amount of games that they'd played and, and it f- hitting a critical mass in March. So they also, they played 12 out of 17 games on the road that month. Um, Not everyone you know, played 12 out of 17 games, though. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, we're, we're, we're only talking about two games that were, were uh, okay. taken off a rest. But, yes, that's true. Um you know, dotting the map in terms of time zones that they were playing in. And then you, know, you were trying to reintegrate J.R. Smith coming off the thumb surgery. You're trying to reintegrate Kevin Love coming off the knee injury. You are trying to get Darren Williams into shape, basketball playing shape, because he, quite frankly, did not show up to Cleveland in requisite shape after sitting on the bench in, in Dallas. Uh, then you have Kyle Korver, who is in the lineup and becomes such a vital part of their bench, and then all of a sudden he goes down with his left foot injury. So they just didn't have a rhythm to what they were trying to do. A lot of the load was being placed on LeBron James and Kyrie Irving's shoulders, and rightfully shows that's what they're paid to do. But those guys started to feel a little overwhelmed, and uh, and if they had any slippage, it would be felt domino effect on the rest of the roster. So it was like just a, an amalgam of, of a lot of bad things coming together. Um, I think one thing that's helped them get out of it um, rather quickly, rather dramatically, is Kevin Love and J.R. Smith both got their game back to where it should be, and now they have you know four of their starters, save for Tristan Thompson, who's injured right now, four of their starters back playing the level they were playing last year in the playoffs, and that makes up for a lot. Underachieving in the regular season, and almost, I mean, possibly even deliberately underachieving in the regular season, is nothing new, particularly in the NBA over the last 15 years. Um, I mentioned, I mean, you were on the Lakers beat for for ESPN so long, I I hope I'm not uh, overaging you. You weren't covering the Lakers in that 2001 (laughs) season, right? Uh, I was just saying, I was actually in high school. In okay, Atlanta. oh, then you're high my school age. In Philadelphia, I was, a, I was a, a fan of that Sixers team, actually. Went to a couple you know, games that the Sixers had that, that playoff run as a fan. Um, but, no, that's a long time ago. That's Ty Lue Ty was a player back then, and now he's coaching these guys. Ty Lue was a player in about, what, 75 pounds lighter, if not more? Oh, wow, I'm not going there, man. <laughs> that was good. That, that was good. 
it was good though when you mentioned that you were in high school. I I was I'm in the same boat. I was a let's see, oh one. I was a fresh. Yeah, I was a freshman in high school. Mal. Uh but yeah, let's so now go back to not talking about our, our personal lives. You're I mean you're in in and around the daily you know, the daily of the team. If I could reference, I guess, a Celtics team that when you look back on it, you say, oh yeah, that team they were just coasting and yada yada yada. But at the time, um, that 2010 Celtics team looked like absolute crap for like the better part of three or or four months and then all of a sudden the switch went on so i mean i just yeah and teron lou has referenced that Celtics team in particular saying that we kind of knew what we had and we knew once we weren't playing back-to-backs and we uh, and we, are, we had fresher legs because we have older guys that don't have fresher legs like most of our opponents and we knew that we had smart enough guys that we gave them a consistent game plan where we're locking in on one opponent. Our, our level would, would change. And I think there's some parallels to be drawn. Um, you know, the question is, you know, whether they'll face a, a killer like Kobe, whether that be, you know, Steph Curry or Kawhi Leonard or whoever it would be when they get to the finals and, and make when? all that effort for not. But there was the giveaway. Uh, I just got, I got you with the when when they get to the finals there was the giveaway. Oh, when. <laughs> well, I mean, again, we've okay. already used dedicated part of this conversation to, okay. to break down the the Eastern Conference foes. They, they are going to be back in the finals, barring a major injury, and and they I, I think you can certainly uh, make make parallels to that that Celtic squad, and you can make parallels to the '95 Rock who had a championship hangover and enter into the playoffs as a uh, sixth seed and end up winning a back-to-back championship. Um, you know, this is this is not the first time we've seen this in NBA history. Um, and, uh, again, I, I don't think you can just discount the poor basketball that you've seen out of the Cavs. It means something. But uh, once that first game of the playoffs starts that's that's when you can really judge what, what they're about i want to get a quick breakdown into the eastern conference and i know the eastern conference uh, effectively is going to be the quote-unquote battle for second place pending injury but pending injury how about so i mean i think it's, it is very relevant though i think we all know lebron james if he if he suffers an injury oh you know well I hate to see i hate to see that something like that happen but what a couple of years ago uh kevin love uh we can make a reference of something that we all remember pretty well. Got injured against the Celtics mm. in a playoff series, which was well decided by then. They still made the NBA Finals. Besides LeBron, could the Cavs still make the Finals with another injury to Irving or Love? It's a tough. That's a tough one. Um, Are they still the favorites? I, I think they could. Actually, I think they could sustain Love easier because you know now they have. Channing Fry, and they didn't have Channing Fry on that that team a couple of years ago, and um, he's uh, you know a, a pretty great backup stretch four option. Uh, Kyrie Irving, I, I, I quite I don't think they would be the favorites. Uh, they could possibly get there, but that's asking a lot out of LeBron. Now LeBron's body is in a better place right now, which is you know funny to say that we're talking about him two years later, but he's in a better place right now than it was in the 2015 playoff run so perhaps he would be better equipped to take on a bigger load but nah, if they don't have Kyrie and LeBron uh, you're not talking about the Cavs being a championship contender all right Dave you're, this is going to be your favorite question of them all you have is this going to be your author debut am, am I under am I undercutting you there or either way 
you have a book coming out in two days, I believe. All the details, let it be known. Yeah, I- April 11th, uh, co-authored with uh, Brian Windhorst. It's called uh, Return of the King, uh, LeBron James of Cleveland. Our goal was to take you inside from the moment that LeBron James started to think about leaving Miami to come back to Cleveland to uh, that triumphant uh, night in Oakland when the Cavs completed the 3-1 comeback against the Golden State Warriors, the, the, the greatest regular season team of all time to capture the first championship for the city of Cleveland in 52 years. So really excited about it. Um, it comes out April 11th. Uh, it's on Amazon. You can check it out on Cavs 2016book.com. Um, you, there's very other, various other outlets you could purchase it there. Uh, yeah, it is my, I guess, uh, author debut. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I, I feel really fortunate to, to put it out there because it, it's, it was kind of unbelievable to go back through the clips that we had, you know, written, uh, the, the pre- previous two years to get to the point, the amount of drama this team went through. Uh, it cannot be understated, uh, but the accomplishment that they were able to uh, end up with, um, you know, will be remembered for the rest of NBA history. So, um, really excited about it. And yeah, if any of your listeners want to check it out, I'd, I'd be indebted to them. That should be enough reason for listeners to purchase a loan forever in the debt of one Dave McMenamin. He does have over 130,000 followers on his Twitter at Mc10, so there's plenty of value in a potential reciprocation, but. Mac, yes, once again, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck with the book, and we do hope to speak to you again, say, in a month and a half or so, but I guess we're going to need a few things to break certain ways. All right, yeah, I, I'd appreciate it. Let's uh, let's see what happens. <laughs> uh, yes, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we will see. That That's about as glass half full as you can wrap on, so we will wrap on that note. No, do you go any further? As you know, everyone, the playoffs do begin next weekend. For those interested, the schedule will be released. The playoff schedule, that is, is going to be released following Wednesday's finale at home against Milwaukee. So that means next Sunday's show, number 205, will either be recapping game one of the quarterfinals, if the game so happens to fall on a Saturday, or previewing game one and beyond, if it is to take place on a Sunday in Boston. I'm praying for Sunday. I really am. But whenever or whatever it is, we will be here and giving away tickets for game two. As well, remember, follow at CLNS underscore LHR, and you are in that drawing. But that will do it for episode number 204. I want to thank everyone who tuned in to yet another week. Today's show was sponsored by SeatGeek and Blue Apron. Music was provided by Chuck Beats, DJ DS, and Steph Legrato. For staff writer Eddie Santiago, graphics designer Scott Dillon, CLNS's founder Nick Gelso, I am Larry H. Russell. See everyone back here next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by the CLNS Media Network. 